I don't know if you've been watching any of the the news, the accounts about Billy Graham. As you, I'm sure everybody's heard by now that he went home to be with the Lord this morning. And but uh, you know they've been playing on on uh, the news networks. You know so many of his messages and so forth. And there's always a consistent theme in every one of them. And that's that God loves you and uh, there's no hope without Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're here tonight because we know where our hope lies. We're, our hope lies in Him. Um, I, just, I just think in this day that we live in, if an individual doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, how horrible it would be. I mean, I, I, just, I, I just can't imagine what life would be like with the events that have taken place in the last week and are, that are taking place, uh, to not have the confidence, the assurance of what we have in Jesus. I, I just, <laughs> it's no wonder the people in the world are going wacko, you know, because there's no hope without him. And, and that's why, you know, the word is so important to us. It isn't, although it's a huge part of it, it isn't just that we get to go to heaven. It's the, it's the victorious life that's available to each one of us right now because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And one of the wonderful things about that is no matter what the circumstances are, we can have total peace in Him knowing that, that we can trust Him, that we can have confidence in Him. It doesn't mean that we always understand everything. I mean, if you, if you ever get everything uh, figured out, write a book uh, because you'll make a fortune. I mean, there's a lot of people that have written books that think they've got it all figured out. Um, but after 10 minutes after the book comes out, you have the revelation they didn't know it all because nobody does. Uh, but what we can know is that we can have confidence in, in, in Jesus. And so we're continuing our series tonight, <clears throat> Grace, the Power of the Gospel. And uh, I don't know, you, you probably don't realize this, um, but uh, when I'm preaching, whether it be Sunday or Wednesday or Monday, wherever we might be, um, I probably get more out of it than all of you. I mean, I, I, would, I would never go any place to hear me preach. I don't know why you're here tonight. I'd, I'd never do that because, you know, I'd drive me nuts. You know, but uh, because of the Holy Spirit, I mean, last week, and it, and it was everything I knew because after all, I put the lesson together. But the revelation of the old nature and how that's dead and and the events of the last couple of weeks, um, it, it, to me, it just, it just came to life. Why? Because of the, the old nature, because of the wicked nature. And, you know, and to use Billy Graham again as an example, you know, five years ago when he did his last interview and so forth, he talked about how <clears throat> there has to be a, a change in humanity for there to be a change a change in one's, one's nature. And uh, so to, to realize that when you and I, when we were born again, um, 
we've received a brand new nature. And that old nature, that old man, was crucified with Christ. And unless we allow it to, it doesn't have a voice in our lives any longer. But oftentimes it has a huge voice, but it's because we allow it to. And so tonight we're, we're talking about <clears throat> the renewing of the mind. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a subject that we talk about a lot. Uh, but I just want you to realize afresh, anew tonight, how important it is for us to renew our minds by the Word of God. You know, because it was, it was our spirit man that was reborn, that was born again. You know, but we have the, the same thoughts, we have the same desires, all of the old stuff has remained the same in our mind. And that's when we talk about renewing the mind, what we're really talking about is changing the way that we think about things. And, you know, you, you, can't just, you, you can't just take authority over your thought life. You have to replace it with something. You know, we, we learned this, well, back when I was at CLC, Christian Outreach School of Ministries, where I went to Bible school. Um, some of our, our dearest friends, Dan and Claudia Dennison, they're a little bit older than us. And so, you know, our kids were just... Um, approaching the teens. They had uh, three children that were already in their teens. And uh, <clears throat> Dan made a statement to me one time. And it was in reference to music and different things like that or activities that kids were going to. He says, you know, <clears throat> you can't ever take something away without replacing it with something. You know, and so we'd send our kids to concerts or we'd find good things, uh, wholesome things for, they, for them to go to because you, you just couldn't say, well, you know, all their friends are, well, their friends weren't because they were in a Christian school, but, you know, everybody's going to this big rock concert or whatever and everybody wants to go. Well, you're not going to go. Well, you got to replace it with something. And I think that principle is so real because it isn't a matter of just taking your thoughts away. You've got you've to replace those thoughts with something. Um, why, don't, why don't you go ahead and shut those doors? Maybe it doesn't bother anybody else, but I hear that furnace out there and it's, it's bugging me. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, you, but you don't hear it at home, but if you were here, you would have. You know, and so, so we've got to replace those thoughts with something. And that's where the renewing of the word or, or, of our minds come in. It's by, um, by replacing our thoughts with something. And the mind is where, it's the battlefield. You know, when you, when you win the battle, the battle of the mind, you've, you've, you've won the battle. You know, communism, they know what they're doing. They know that if they can um, get a hold of uh, somebody's mind when they're young and, and direct their thoughts and how they think about things, um, they know they've, they've got them. You know, and that's why we, we you know, it's not that we want to, oh yeah, we do. <laughs> we we, we want to get our children thinking right. And so if we don't get them thinking along the lines of the Word of God, um, the world isn't going to do it. 
You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, um, we're, we're enlightened. And so we want our children to be able to decide for themselves. Well, what are you, stupid? I don't want my children deciding for themselves. I believe that this gospel is, is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not going to spend eternity without my children, without my grandchildren, if Jesus tarries without my great-grandchildren. And so that means they're going to have to think in line with the Word of God. That means they're going to have to know, you know, because I believe, as in the words of Brother Hagin, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. You know, I, I believe that we must be born again, that if we, not, if we are not born again, we are not going to experience that eternal blessing of heaven. And so my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren, if Jesus tarries, are going to be there with me. And so why in the world, if I truly believe this gospel, because that's, that's where the issue comes in, do we really believe this gospel? You know, Dr. Cole always taught, you know, there's a difference between conviction and preference. How a lot of people live off of preference, where we're supposed to live off of conviction. I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because of conviction and, and, and it's uncompromising. You know, if you listen to the stories of Billy Graham again, you know, reviewing him, if you, you, they had on his early messages and his later messages. And you know what? As far as the message was concerned, there was no variation. His text may have, may have been different, but the message that he was preaching never changed. You know why? Because he didn't preach it out of preference. He didn't prefer Christianity over some other religion. He had a conviction that Christianity, that, that believing in Christ Jesus was essential for salvation. And that's where we need to be in our own lives, where this, where this gospel of grace is concerned, that it's got to be more than a preference. Well, you know, it's a, it's a good life to live as a Christian. It is. But that ought not to be your motivation. Your motivation ought to be my conviction is that this is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father but through this precious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's where the renewing of the mind comes in because it, it ceases uh, to be a preference and it becomes true conviction at that time. And conviction, you know, we, we talk about conviction of sin. Isn't it interesting that the majority of Christendom emphasize conviction of sin, where the sin issue was dealt with Jesus on the cross. When you read through the Bible, the conviction that's talking, that is generally being talked about is the conviction in our heart of that this word is truth, that what Paul preached, what Peter preached, was written in this book, that it's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that wasn't my message, but I liked it just the same. So, Anyway, we're going to look at Romans, the 12th chapter. And here, <clears throat> there's just a couple of verses that make it very clear as to what we're to do, you know, because we're a threefold being. And uh, as a threefold being, we have to do something 
<laughs> with each of those areas. Our spirit man, the moment that we were born again, became a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away, all things became new. And so our spirit man, your spirit man, is perfect. Your spirit man contains everything that is necessary for you to live the, the victorious, abundant Christian life. In your spirit man is peace, joy, faithfulness, all the, all the fruit of the spirit, all the blessings of God reside there. And then we have this physical body. And the Bible says that what we have to do with this physical body is we, we have to crucify it. <clears throat> Paul said, I die daily. He wasn't talking about a physical death that he died daily, but daily he had to put to death the deeds of the flesh or the things that the flesh wants to do because the flesh wants to do what the flesh has always done. I don't know if you've realized that or not, but I have. You know, but it wants to do what it's always done. And so it says that we have to crucify the flesh. And that doesn't mean we tack it to a wall someplace, but it, said, it means we say, no, we're not gonna do that anymore because that's not who I am. That's the old man and that old man is dead and so it doesn't rule here any longer. And then we have our, our soul, our mind, will, and our emotions. And uh, the Bible tells us specifically what we have to do with our soul. And that's what we find in Romans, the 12th chapter. And the first verse, it says, I beseech you, therefore. You know, and he says, I beseech you. And it, it carries the connotation of imploring, almost begging. You know, because Paul considered this to be so important that he wanted them to get a hold of it. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. It's only reasonable. After what Jesus did for us, it's only reasonable that we would serve him. And do not be conformed to this world. <clears throat> I, always, I, always have to, I always have to laugh, you know, because uh, kids talk about their individuality, but you watch them walk down the street and every one of them looks the same way. You know, and, and we, were, we were the same way. You know, of course, I was, I was cooler than most. <laughs> you know, because I had a V-neck sweater that I wore with my cut-off corduroy shorts with wingtips with no socks and, sh and shoelaces. I, I, I mean, I was, I was cool. I, I was such an individual. Until you got in the crowd and everybody's wearing exactly the same thing. You know, I, I gave her daughter, daughter a little bit of rough time on Sunday because she, I said, I feel so sorry for her. She's got all these holes in her jeans. You know, and why, why did they do that? They do that for their individuality. The only problem is, is everybody at school has holes in their jeans. And so it is, it's, what is it? It's not individuality, it's conformity. Now, don't look at me with that tone of voice because every one of us in this room, we do exactly the same thing. Because I notice nobody is wearing a mullet. I mean, that used to be the cool thing. You know, but no, nobody's, nobody is 
anymore. Why? Because it's out of style. Although it's, I hear it's coming back in. Oh, Lord. You know. <clears throat> but, but, but what is it? It's, it we're, we have a tendency to conform. And so he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And so through the renewing of the mind, there's a transformation that takes place in our life. And a transformation isn't something that occurs on the surface. It's something that, that begins within. It's a, you know, um, what's, what's the word, metamorphosis? Isn't that when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly? You know, that, that's the word, you know, out of the Greek that's being used here. And so what it's talking about is when we, when we renew our mind, there's a, there's a transformation that begins to take place in our life. And, and you know what happens? You know, <clears throat> I, I listen to people today as they're talking about Billy Graham and, and others and, and about the struggles that everybody goes through. And everybody, everybody goes through struggles. But, but you know, do you realize that by and large, our Christian life is not supposed to be this huge struggle that we have to face every single day. And the, ra- the way we get there is, is we begin to live a life of conviction. You know, <clears throat> when we live a life of conviction, um, it takes the stress out of our lives. Because all at once, there's a whole lot of decision making that is taken out of the way. I'll just use this as an example. But um, when I first came here 36 years ago, and I knew him before that, but one of the uh, core individuals that was part of starting the church was a guy by the name of, of uh, Galen Devoloy. And, and uh, Galen grew up in a uh, Christian home. But he made this statement one time to me, and it, it stuck with me, not just because of what he was sharing, but how it applies in every area of our life. And he says, you know, <clears throat> I've noticed over the years that a lot of people struggle, that they, they, they struggle because they have this decision that they struggle with every Sunday morning as to whether or not they're going to go to church. He says, I have never had to give that a second thought in my entire life. Because the home that I grew up in, every Sunday, we went to church. There was no questions asked. The only way you didn't go to church was if you were puking or puking. We won't go anyplace else with that. You know, but he says, that's the only way that, that you wouldn't go. So he said, that was part of who I, I was. And so Never had to think twice about it. But I took that principle and I began to look at it from the standpoint of so many areas in my life where there was, there was struggle because in those areas I was living a life of preference. I'd prefer to do this if everything worked out right. But if it didn't, well, then I would go this direction. But if I'm living a life of conviction, there's no longer any, there's no longer any struggle with it. You know, I, I use the example of when Pastor Becky's preaching finally got through to me about speeding. And I, I, I 
it became a conviction that I was going to drive not more than three miles over <laughs> I mean, this is time for honesty, right? You know, because they won't pick you up if you're on three miles over the speed. But I, but I, 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 I don't usually I'm driving 55, but there's times. But I don't go over that. But the, the thing about it is, is I, I realized it took a lot of stress out of my life. Number one, I didn't have to deal with should I or shouldn't I go that fast. The other part of it was I didn't have to worry about whether I was going to be picked up. You know, because when you're driving 10, 15 miles over the speed limit, what are you doing? You're constantly, in, you know, you're meeting somebody so you slow way down because just in case, it looks like it could be. You know, I, I mean, they, wear, they drive with those stupid Iowa Hawkeye plates and you can't tell whether it's a cop or a, you know, it's just r ridiculous. I mean, they ought to outlaw those things because they're so confusing. You know, and, but I, I got frowns from that one, you know, <clears throat> but that was the intent, <laughs> you know. But anyway, the thing about it is, is that's what conviction does in our life. And so where do we get conviction? Well, it ought to be based on what the Word of God says. And so when we begin to renew our minds according to the Word of God, all at once things begin to change. Things that we used to have to make a decision on we no longer have to make the decision on because the decision is already made because of the conviction that I have about. Does that make any sense to you? And so this is what he's saying here. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You know what? That's what conviction will do in our life. And in the process of it, it takes all the, all the stress out of the way. When we were born again, everything that we would ever need was imparted into our lives, made available to us. The problem is we're not aware of it. We don't, we don't know what Jesus has accomplished for us. And... Uh, and the thing about it is, and that's why our Christian life is, is so exciting, is, you know, whether Jesus tarries and we live another, you know, 30 years here on earth, some of you a little more than that, I have no desire to go more than 30 more, you know, <clears throat> you know that put me at almost, well, I'd be nine and nine. So that's, that's a good number. It's good enough for Billy. It's good enough for me, you know. But, but the point is, is the entire time, though, we're going we're gonna to continue to grow. We're going to continue to see uh, parts of God that we've never seen before. In fact, I believe that that's how we're going to spend all of eternity. You know, I don't, I don't believe we go to heaven and we stop learning and, and so forth. I believe it's going to be a continual process throughout all of eternity a million years, a billion years of learning. But it's going to be good stuff. And it, because it's going to be about our, our Heavenly Father. And so he wants to work that uh, in us. Let's turn to Romans, the sixth chapter, and the sixth verse. And it says, Knowing this, now again, he's emphasizing something. We need, we need to know this. Knowing this, 
that your old man was crucified with him in Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we shall no longer be slaves to sin. Remember, we've been talking about that, that we were, we were slaves to sin. We didn't, we didn't do bad things necessarily because we were bad people. We did bad things because that's what sinners do. And so we, it wasn't that, <clears throat> it, it was our nature. But our nature was changed. We have a brand new nature in Christ Jesus. It says old things are, are buried, old things are dead. The old, it, that old nature died with Christ. But now what we need to do is we need to be reprogrammed. You know, we, we need to impart new information into our brain so that when, when something comes up, we respond differently than how we used to respond. And that happens as we renew our minds. And it's a, it's a, it's a process. It's a, it's a lifelong process process. You know, um, I heard somebody share this. It's in your notes how, you know, when a, when a body dies, it doesn't immediately decay. You can still, you can still recognize that body as being that individual that once lived. But you know, the same thing happens with us. We died with Christ. But you know, oftentimes, we still kind of, we kind of look the same. But you know what? Just like with that body, eventually decay is going to set in. The same thing ought to happen with us where that, that old man begins to decay away and so that the new man begins to, begins to come forth. The thing about it is, is oftentimes we don't see it. And really, I believe that's how it's supposed to be. You know, that after we've walked with God for a period of time, we can look back and we can think, my goodness, God really made a change in our life. And, uh, but <clears throat> this happened to us, well, it's many moons ago. Uh, but we had... When we lived here, we, 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 there was a family in town, the Nissens, and we'd always play pinochle with them. And uh, so we had we'd gone away to Bible school, and then we had you know, started a church up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, and we came back. And, and uh, so we were, we were staying with them. And so we, we decided to have a couple games of pinochle. And so we're, we're sitting there playing pinochle. And... Uh, if, if you think pinochle is a sin, it is when you lose. But when you're winning, it's wonderful. You know, but so we were, we were playing pinochle, and uh, about halfway through the, the, after the, the evening, they, they stopped, they looked at Pastor Becky, and they says, man, God has really done marvelous things in your, in your marriage. I said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, we used to play and you're constantly doing these little digs at one another. And then you'd laugh like you didn't mean it. We knew you meant it. 
And they said, you don't do it anymore. You can tell that God has really done a work within you. Let me tell you something. You may not always think that God has done a work in you. Let me tell you something. When you're renewing your mind by the word of God, those around you, they're seeing it. And, and the hard part of it is, is those around you are constantly trying to pull you in because they want you to conform with, with their way of being. You know, isn't it interesting? People who never used to care could care less about what you do. All of a sudden, when you make a confession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all at once, they're the expert in what you need to be doing. And they're constantly trying to pull you in the direction that they're going. Well, <clears throat> they're what they want you to conform. You're not going to conform because you've been transformed. And you're doing that according to the Word of God. And that's why oftentimes with, with individuals that we were at one time so close to, there seems to be a separation. And it isn't, it isn't that you necessarily want it to be that way, but it's because there's a transformation that's taken place in your life. And they're unwilling to recognize or acknowledge it. And, and so as a result of that, the, the natural result then is that there's going to be, there's going to be a separation. Um, in James 2.26 it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without the spirit is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. And so your spirit, man, is eternal. Your spirit, man, will never, never cease to exist. Your, your body will drop into the ground and it'll decay if Jesus tarries. But your, your spirit, man, will, will continue on forever. You know, <clears throat> death basically means separation. You know, when, uh, when we physically die, we don't cease to exist. What happens is our, our soul and our spirit are separated from our physical body. And our body goes to the grave. Our, our spirit um, goes to be, to be with the Lord. And our soul is intact with that as well because we see the account of the rich man and Lazarus that <clears throat> both uh, Lazarus and Abraham's bosom and uh, the rich man in in Hades, both of them had emotions. Both of them um, were able to have thought. Uh, and so we're, it's not like we're going to go to heaven and we're just going to be zombies and we're not going to have our thought. We're going to have our, our minds are going to be intact. I don't know that we're going to remember bad things. I, I have nothing to base that on. All I know is that our soul and our spirit are going to be intact. So there's, there's separation that takes place. And so it's no wonder that when you died with Christ, there are other areas in our life where there's a separation. There are things that maybe once um, dominated your life, but it just doesn't seem to have the, the same appeal that it once had. It's like you, didn't, you, you, you lost, I don't know how to say it, you lost interest in it. Why is that? Because 
there's a, there's a separation that took place because that was a part of the old and you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I've always testified to the fact that I love football. But I've, I've come to realize something. I don't love it as much as I used to. In fact, I can honestly say I really don't love it. I, 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 I like it. I enjoy it. But it doesn't, you know, when, when, when you love something, it dominates your life. I mean, whether I see a game or not, it's, it's okay. You know, at times you, you watch a whole ball game, it's like, man, I just wasted three hours. I'd have, I'd have never thought that way. I mean, I might have thought that after my sixth game on a Saturday afternoon, but I never thought that after, after one game. But what is it? Is it because I've tried to put it down? It's, I've listened to my wife now for over 50 years criticize how stupid football is? No, no, it's not that. It's, it's something that's happened on the inside of me. And, and that's what the Word of God does is things begin to have a new significance, a new importance in our life. It isn't because we're trying to do that. It's, it's just what happens because the Word is life. And when we're separated from that that death, the life that it produces, is so much more rewarding, so much more fulfilling. You know, I mean, I would rather go watch Emily play basketball. And have, have you ever watched a, a six-year-old play basketball? <laughs> but I'd, I'd rather watch her play basketball than go to the Super Bowl. And I can say that absolutely without any reservation, that that's absolutely true. Number, number two, I don't want to go to the Super Bowl. I'd rather watch it on TV. You can see a whole lot better. You know, but, but, but the truth is, um, the priorities begin to change. It isn't because we want them to or make them happen. It's because of the life that we find in him. Now, I will continue to talk about football because if I quit, I'd lose half the church. But, you know, so, uh, um, but it doesn't carry the same importance that it once had. Verse 7, we're still in Romans 6. For he who has died has been freed from sin. We're free from it. Why? Because we're dead. But do we see ourselves dead to the world? We see the world as still having this, this impact, this pull in our life. But we're, we're free of sin because we're dead of it. It's an interesting thing when, when, it, when, when an individual dies, their environment has absolutely no impact upon them. And if we're truly dead, then our environment ought not to dictate, it ought not to control our life any longer. Now, if we died with Christ, isn't it good that God doesn't ever leave us in a negative? Now, that, that's, that's a principle that each of us need to realize because every one of us 
we encounter difficulty in life. There's times we encounter things and it just appears like there's, there's absolutely no way out. But as you go through the scriptures, you find that God doesn't leave us in a negative. You know, even, even with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the negative ended in a positive. You know, and, and uh, Tammy Winslow made this statement. He says, she said, there has to be a, a death before there can be a resurrection. And so when you see something that appears to be death or crisis in your life, that's why we can rejoice when we encounter various trials. Why? Because we know who our deliverer is. We know that where there's a death, there's going to be a resurrection. That's why as, as believers, um, it, it's, it's impossible for us to lose. Well, pastor, what if you, what if you die? I win. I win. I remember, you know, I, I, was, I was kind of afraid of, well, yeah, still am. <laughs> I, I don't like heights. Just, just don't like them. And uh, I mean, I used to panic and freeze if I, if I got too high. But <clears throat> in my first church up in Wapaka, I was, I was doing, there was a contractor and I'd, I'd do some work with him periodically to help supplement my, my income, which, you know, was 60% of the offerings, which sounds pretty good and, until, you know, like the one Sunday, my portion was $39 and some odd cents. And we had three kids in private school and were buying a house. So needless to say, I, I worked some side jobs. And so he's building this log house. And, and so my job, it's a two-story, and my job is to go along the, the peak and, and, and put the soffit on. And uh, we, don't, we don't have any scaffolding, so you, you climb up on the roof and you had toeholds, and you leaned over and you, you nailed them on. And it's a two-story. I was on the peak, and the basement wasn't filled in. And so, you know, it was like a four-story drop. And I don't like heights. And so I'm, I'm up there thinking, if I fall off here, I could, I could break my neck. And I thought a minute, I thought, no, no, I don't have to worry about that. As much as this is fall is, it'll kill me. So I'll be in the presence of Jesus, so nothing to worry about. You know, but, but I had to talk myself through it. And so when we know what Christ has done for us, it begins to remove the fears that we encounter in our life. I have to bring my notes up because I have no idea where I'm at. Uh, let's, read, let's read verse 8 again. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over us. Now, we're going to die. It's appointed unto every man wants to die. But death has no dominion over us. And even though we die, we live. Because the moment that we die, we're in the presence of Jesus. We're separated from this physical body, but we're united with Jesus. Now, <clears throat> what does this have to do with the renewing of the mind? Everything. Because that's how, how we normally 
think. But when we begin to think in line with the Word of God, we begin to focus on what He says, the truth that He's given us, and death never is the end. Death always leads to life. When you experience difficulty in your life, you know, there, it's, it's an element, there's an element of death or loss that's involved in it. And, and so often in the past we've thought, que sera, sera, what will be, will be, that's how it is. But you know what? That, that death, that loss, has to lead to a resurrection. But for that to take place, we've got to have confidence that what God has said in his word is true. And the only way that we have that confidence in that is by renewing our mind. You know, <clears throat> renewing of the mind is, it begins with placing yourself in agreement with the word. In other words, I agree that this word is true. But you know, even in the beginnings of that, there's an element of preference that's involved. I prefer to believe that the Word of God is true. But you know what happens at a certain point? That preference turns to conviction. And now I know that the Word is true. You know, <clears throat> when I first got saved, there were doubts. I think, you know, I'd, I'd do something stupid. I know that's hard to believe, but, you know, I'd do something and I'd think, why did I do that? I'm supposed to be saved, not acting very saved. And so I was, I was looking at the circumstances and people would say, you know, something and it would, it would create doubts. You know, is this real? And my preference was, yeah, I believe it. I believe the word is true. But then these Doubts would come against me. But let me tell you something. Nobody can convince me that I'm not saved. You may not think I'm saved, but you're wrong. Because I am. Well, how do you know you're saved? Because the Word tells me that I'm saved. Because I've taken the Word and it's, it's changed my thinking and salvation is no longer a preference in my life, it's a conviction. Why would Billy Graham spend his entire life preaching the same gospel because of conviction? Because he was confident that what he is, his preaching was true. When I heard the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time, you know, <clears throat> there was a point where I accepted it just simply because I got into agreement with the Word of God. But you know what, it went from there to where it became a conviction. You can't convince me that there isn't a second experience known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues. Remember, <clears throat> in the early years that I was here, we had several families that were coming up from the Panora area, and so they wanted to have a, a Bible study down there, and so weekly I'd go down there and and uh, do a Bible study. And there was a couple down there, Gordon and Cheryl Castile. And uh, <clears throat> one night at the Bible study, they, they, they said, Pastor, can we talk to you 
alone. So we were in somebody's house, and so we went into one of the back bedrooms, and and they they said, uh, you know, we, we hear you preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues, but, you know, we grew up in a in a church where the we were told that it was passed away. It was no longer relevant for today. Uh, we were told that it, uh, when, when you see people that are operating in this, that it's of the devil. It's not even of God. You know, they had heard all these things and said, we're, we're just so torn between the voices that we're hearing. And so I sat him down and I said, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to share some scripture with you. And I want you to take these scriptures and I want you to go home and I want you to meditate, think on these scriptures. Now, <clears throat> don't reject it because that's what your pastors of the past said. But don't accept it because I say it. You go, and what does the scripture say? And so I went through several of these passages and they wrote them down as we were going along. And uh, I said, now, um, I want you to go home and think on these passages. And, and Gordon says, well, I don't have to do that. He says, the Bible says it. As far as I'm concerned, pray for me. Now, I don't remember if Cheryl got prayed for that night or not, but Gordon didn't. He received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues because he was convinced according to the Word. Now, <clears throat> knowing Gordon... Because he's very, what would be the word, analytical? Introspective. Yeah, you know, that was, that was a preference based on what the scripture says. But if you talk to Gordon Castile today, it is not a preference in his life, and, or Cheryl's. It is a total conviction in their life. You know, <clears throat> healing. When I got a hold of the message of healing, um, I had to make a choice. I choose to believe what the Word of God says concerning healing because this is what the Word says. The Word says by the stripes of Jesus we've been healed. You know, and so when I saw that, you know, it begins to renew your mind, but I had to make a, a conscious decision that I was going to choose to believe this. You, you've probably heard all these stories, but back when I lived in Ankeny, for us in the ministry, we had our little Bible study there. And for some reason, I was considered an elder of that Bible study. And there was this little girl in Ankeny, you know, there were two things that happened almost simultaneously. Number one, my father-in-law, who had been fighting prostate cancer, who had been healed of it once, but then it came back and it, it took his life. We'd been praying for him. And there was this little girl that fell in the playground in Ankeny and they had to take her to the hospital and she was in a coma. And they weren't letting anybody in there, but the, the parents, weren't, we, we didn't even know the parents, we just told them, we'd like to pray for your daughter. How many of you know that when your child needs something, all of a sudden you'll, you'll agree to things you would have never agreed to in the past? And, and so <clears throat> they... They gave us permission, the three of us, to go in and pray with this little girl in intensive care. And uh, the family had to give up one of their visits for us to be able to do it. But they wanted us to be able to do it. And so we went in, we prayed with that little girl, and I was, I was so sure that she was going to 
rise up out of her bed when Jesus spoke to the little girl that was was dead and he said little girl rise up and she rose up out of that bed and he, he says give her something to eat I was ready to call for a sandwich but she didn't rise up and she eventually uh, passed on she died and one of the guys that went in there with me he, he said to me he said he says I don't know if I can ever pray for anybody again because I was convinced your father-in-law was healed. I was convinced this little girl was going to rise up. I don't, I don't know if I can ever pray for anybody again because of that. And, and I, <clears throat> I don't know anything. I mean, this, I mean, I don't know much now, but then I knew less. But I said, I said, no. I said, the Bible says that Jesus bore our sicknesses and our diseases. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon him, and by his stripes we have been healed. The Bible says Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And we're to do the works of Jesus because in Mark, he says that we're to lay hands on the sick, and they're to recover. I says, no, we don't, we don't determine this because of experience. We determine this because of what the Bible says. And at that time, I'm still choosing to believe what the Bible says. I still choose to believe, but now it's not a preference. It's a conviction. I believe that by the stripes of Jesus, you and I have been healed if we never see another person healed. That's how convinced we've got to be of it. Because it isn't based on experience, it's based on truth. And his word is truth. That's the renewing of the mind. So the renewing of the mind is so much more than just thinking a little bit differently. Renewing of the mind is when we come to the place where we're no longer living a life based on preference. We're living a life of conviction. We pray for the sick because we're con of conviction in our life. We believe for prosperity because of conviction in our life. We expect to have joy and peace in our life because of conviction, not because I prefer to be joyful and peaceful. No, our conviction is, is that by the grace of God, it's been imparted into our lives through the completed works of Jesus. How far did I read? For the dead, for the death that he died, he died once for all. But the life that he lives, 10th verse, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves, consider yourself dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, we look at that and we think, well, we're to consider ourselves dead to, dead to sin. But it doesn't stop there. That's like accepting the cross without accepting the empty tomb. He doesn't, he doesn't just simply say, consider yourself to be dead to sin. He says, and consider yourself to be alive. And so, do you consider yourself alive? That's, that's the renewing of the mind. And what happens then is we have an expectation. 
I, <laughs> I expect good things. I don't expect bad things to happen. I expect good things. Now, <clears throat> part of that's my personality. You know, I know some personalities, they, they think the worst is going to happen, and then when it doesn't happen that bad, they feel good. I expect good. And when bad happens, I deal with it. But see, we ought to have an expectation of abundance. We ought to have an expectation of good. 1 Peter 4, 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Remember, we died with Christ. He suffered in the flesh for us. We're not... We're not to identify with his death from the standpoint of dying. We're to identify with his resurrection, his newness of life. Good Friday would be a tragedy without Easter morning. And so many people, they emphasize, they focus on, on Friday and they almost forget about Easter. No, Easter is a celebration of life. And it's not just Jesus' life that we're celebrating. It's our life. Because we're resurrected in Christ Jesus. And that means everything that he's done belongs to us now. Romans 6, 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. Don't let it rule. How do I not let it rule? Because I'm dead to that and I'm alive to this. Once again, remember what I said at the beginning when I was talking about Dan Dennison. I was talking about our teenagers. He says you can't just take stuff away with, from them without replacing it with something. You know that applies in every one of our lives. You can't just remove stuff without replacing it with something. You can't just be dead to everything. You know, <clears throat> that's why so many people think Christianity is just a, it's a bummer. You, you can't do anything. <laughs> Let me tell you, I can do a lot. And I remember the next day what I did. And I don't have to worry about it. No, 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 no. We, we, there, there is so much available to us. It's not just a bunch of don'ts. It's life. And it's life abundantly. The old nature, it's gone. But you know what? We've got to renew our minds to come to the realization of it, to realize what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. Amen? Glory to God. Be blessed. Have a wonderful evening.